Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One viewer named J. Have Valentine called me a worthless, lame-ass, pathetic piece of shit in life. hi That comment actually got a couple thumbs up from other readers. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious, 140-character review of your favorite movie? Read long-form reviews of movies, TV, and music from the distant and recent past at OverdueReview.com. Hello again, my dear friend, and welcome again to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com, and I'll be taking you on this tour through the media wasteland where we kind of purvey all the garbage out there, what's streaming right now in music and movies and in television, and tell you what's worth watching and what's not quite worth your valuable time. This show, of course, is worth your valuable time, and I thank you very much for finding it. If you just found it, please tell your friends and uh, spread the word. Give us a nice five-star review up there at the uh, iTunes podcast uh, store, whatever the hell they're calling it these days. Uh, But welcome into the show. Once again, appreciate you joining me. Got a lot to talk about today. Uh, We did not do a show uh, on our usual schedule because I've been sick for the last couple weeks. Came down with some kind of virus. I swear to God, I think I got the Zika virus, but uh, my head hasn't shrunk or anything, so I guess I'm all right. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, and yeah, I'm not planning on getting pregnant anytime soon. So I guess it'll it'll all be fine. But had to skip the show last time. So, uh, but we're on our new schedule now, and uh, we it'll it'll all be good. So I apologize if I sound a little bit under the weather because I still kind of am. But I think I'm almost there. But what it means is this is a historic show because I'm not I'm not going to smoke a stogie. I, I can't. I don't think my throat could handle it, and I'd end up sounding like garbage by the end of the program. So I'm just I'm not going to be able to do my stogie this week. Uh, it's it's just it's unfortunate. I know it's a shame, uh, but I'll come back strong next time. But let's go ahead and get into the meat of the program. Coming up in a little bit, we'll be hearing from our music editor Andy Sedlak to hear what he's got piping through the earbuds this week. Um, since we last spoke, man, we've had uh, a lot of really big time deaths. I mean, they say celebrity deaths come in trios, and uh, it was certainly the case for me. Three guys who really I have I've looked up to. Um, in my in my time on earth here three artists that I've really enjoyed in different mediums Gary Shandling passed away I've talked on this show uh, before about the Larry Sanders show and its influence on TV and its influence on me um, and uh, he he passed away and that's that's a huge loss for entertainment I mean he's the guy that really hasn't been that active since uh, the kind of the late 90s early 2000s but still I mean you're talking about a guy who 
Um, I, you know, I would have loved to have known what Gary Shandling had left in the tank, and I'm sure it was plenty. Uh, Merle Haggard passed away. and Of course, he, he lived a really long and, and full life and did tons of things, cut a million albums, million tunes, spent some time in jail, uh, just had a, a really interesting life. But still, I mean, a guy who could still could, could still sing, still was filling up uh, theaters in Las Vegas and around the country. And, you know, the hag is gone. It's a sad thing. But I think the death that hit me the hardest in the last uh, three weeks since we last spoke was the death of Fife Dog, the rapper from A Tribe Called Quest. I'm not kidding. Uh, that's the group that really, like, I, I didn't, when I was, like, in my early teens, I really didn't listen to rap music at all. I really hadn't given it a chance. I was kind of one of these snobby guys who thought, you know, really, uh, you know, rock and, and, and country, but mostly rock music was really all it was about. Like, there was nothing, no other type of music. And I like jazz, too, but there was really no other type of music that was, you know, really worth a damn, I felt like. And I, I was kind of a snob in that way. But then I listened to A Tribe Called Quest. I got a copy. A friend of mine uh, gave me a copy of the uh, of their greatest hits, and I listened to it. And immediately went out and bought Midnight Marauders, and I went out and bought the uh, Low End Theory, and these are albums that, like, I would say, changed my life because they got me into rap, and, and you know, to this day, rap music now to me, I consider it to be the ultimate musical art form. It's just so honest, and it has so much style, and it has the um, ability more than other art forms to kind of get like current events into the music right away, get politics into the music right away. Um, and also just to try so many inventive things with the sound and to invent new phrases uh, that, that kids and, and people are using in, in daily speech all the time. So uh, I just, uh, you know, I've, I've become a, an, an enormous rap fan since I listened to A Tribe Called Quest. And Five Dog, I love Q-Tip, but Five Dog was the guy that was just always impressing me with his the acrobatics of the rhymes that he would come up with. And it was accessible for me, even as a white kid in suburbia, um, to understand you know, the things he was talking about, life in high school. 1988, senior Also, I had like a, a little bit deeper connection with him because he was a type 1 diabetic. And you know that's something that I've had for a little bit over a decade. So, um, you know, a lot of connections with this guy, and he's always been one of my heroes, and I was really, really sad to hear that Fife Dog passed away. So we lost a real titan in rap and a guy that was really important, left a big mark, left his fingerprints firmly uh, on your humble narrator here. How's about that? It seemed like it's my turn again. All through the years, my mic has been my best friend. I know some brothers wonder, can Fife really kick it? Some even want to diss me. But why sweat it? So moving away from death, I got to tell you guys, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, dropping my Netflix subscription because I've just the more I've thought about it. It's like the reason I got Netflix was to watch the movies that I hadn't seen. I hadn't been able to find on DVD, um, you know, ones that I just had always wanted to see, but I couldn't really track them down that easily. And it seemed like a nice way to do it. Um but over time, I've talked about this before, Netflix has kind of gone away from really being about movies and has just really kind of stuck its head up its own ass and really become just something that's about its own original content. Um, they, they still do have some decent movies, and they've got a lot of good shows that were on other networks and things like that. And their original shows, sure, they're, 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 they're good. I mean, some are, are way better than others. Some are great, even. Um, but, you know, is it enough for me to pay every month just to keep Netflix? Because essentially it's the same thing as, like, paying for HBO every month. Um, Netflix, though, it was just announced right before I'm doing the show that they are jacking their price up from $7.99 a month to $9.99 a month. Um, so a couple more dollars, and I'm sure that the price is just going to continue 
uh, and keep going up here. But, you know, I, I was thinking about dropping it anyway. So I don't know. Is this going to push me over the edge of dropping it? Probably not because my wife, uh, she loves uh, House of Cards and she loves Orange is the New Black. And I like that show a lot, too. Um, and I, I don't think she'd want to part with those shows. But I just wonder, you know, I want to pose the question to you guys. Are Netflix's original shows enough to keep you wanting to pay nine ninety nine a month? Because really, you've got to think about Netflix in the same way you think about HBO. A lot of you guys, when you think about HBO, you probably don't think it's worth it to subscribe. I mean, I know a lot of people. Now, I absolutely love HBO, and I, uh, you know, worship their shows, and I think what they did for bringing, you know, uncensored movies onto TV was a great thing. And they still they do put a high premium on putting good new movies out, and their original movies are really good. They just they they do a lot to I think keep you interested for fourteen ninety nine a month. That's the price for HBO now, but. I don't think people think about Netflix in the same way that they think about HBO. But really, it's the same thing. You know, they've got movies on there. They, they put original shows out sometimes. But it's just all on demand. And now everybody's on demand, though. But let's, let's compare prices. Netflix is now at $9.99 a month. HBO, $14.99 a month. Amazon Prime is at $8.25 a month. Really, $99 a year is how they do it. And Amazon Prime, I think, has better original shows um, per capita, I guess I would say, than Netflix does. I mean, on the whole, you think about like Transparent, really one of the most transformative comedies, most important comedies of of recent years. Uh, Mozart in the Jungle, I haven't watched it, can't recommend it, but it won the uh, Golden Globe last year for uh, Best Comedy, or was it the Emmy? I can't remember. Uh, But And they've got The Man in the High Castle. I've talked about that. Absolutely one of my favorite shows on TV right now. So just a lot of really interesting shows coming out of Amazon Prime and a lot of really good movies and old series as well. $8.25 Eight twenty-five a month, though, is what they charge you. Hulu with no commercials uh, is eleven ninety-nine a month. If you have limited commercials, it's seven ninety-nine a month to watch Hulu. So these these are the uh, the prices. I do think Netflix offers you a lot in terms of original programming, and they they are getting more and more exciting with the original programming that they're coming out with, and they're going to start doing more movies and stuff like that. I think. Um, but, you know, is it enough to keep you interested for nine ninety nine a month? I think you're going to start noticing that price, whereas maybe you didn't notice it so much at seven ninety nine. I think it's probably still worth it at under $10. They are giving you a tremendous amount of content. Um, but it does help Netflix in my eyes that as soon as they raised the price here, they've had their strongest month of new movies added that I've seen in a long time. So in April, they added a lot of really good movies. They legitimately added a handful of what I consider to be some of the finest and most interesting movies ever made. I'm not trying to use hyperbole here, but they added really some a handful of my favorite movies ever. In April, Netflix added A Clockwork Orange, Best in Show, Boogie Nights, Mystic River, The Right Stuff, the Shawshank Redemption, and Sunset Boulevard. That's what I would consider the first tier, the best movies that they added um, in April. Those aren't the only movies they added, but that, those are like the first tier, some of absolutely my favorite films. The right stuff alone is worth uh, you know, a new addition in Boogie Nights. I mean, come on, Mystic River. I mean, these are movies I go back to all the time, and I watch all the time. And I think if you watch them, you'll you'll love them also. So, you know, give those a chance right now added to uh, Netflix. The second tier of really, you know, of good movies, but I wouldn't call the absolute best movies that, that Netflix added, but they're still very solid. 2001, A Space Odyssey, Aaron Brockovich, the Princess Bride, The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, I love that one, and V for Vendetta. These are a handful more uh, of movies that they added in April. So Netflix had an impressive month 
of of new films added from you know some auteur directors and you know really some powerhouse acting performances in all of those. But once again, I mean, if I'm going to tell you three movies to go out and watch right away that they just added to Netflix, it would be Boogie Nights. That is, you know, one of my favorite movies ever, Mystic River, and The Right Stuff. Those would be the ones to go out and watch. And if you want to laugh your ass off, watch Best in Show. That's just, you can't beat that movie. Um, So that's kind of what's going on right now on Netflix. Here are some exciting coming attractions. Let's turn our attention to theaters right now. So in theaters, uh, a movie that raked in a ton of money in its first weekend. It set records despite really every critic on the earth saying that the movie sucked completely. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. God versus man. Day versus night. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. I'm talking about Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Uh, this was one that I went and saw at an early screening and was I was really excited, man. I, I think the atmosphere inside the theater was people were really excited for this and looking forward to it. How could you not get pumped up? I mean, it's another Batman movie, and on top of that, it's it's Superman, and you know, and, and Zack Snyder has you know, I mean, he made Watchmen, which is I think one of the best comic movies ever. But I, I, the more I, the more Zack Snyder movies I watch, the more I think maybe he hoodwinked us, and really, he was one of those one-hit wonder directors that only had a really like one really good movie. I mean, Three Hundred wasn't that good. It was a huge sensation, but wasn't that good. Sucker Punch pretty much sucked. Man of Steel was not very good at all. Um, so, you know, really, the more I think about it, I'm like, God, he, he really only made one really good movie that I lo- that I love to go back and watch. So Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I thought the movie was a terrible bore and completely devoid of any joy. Basically, the way I thought of it was it was like the anti-Star Wars The Force Awakens. All the things that made you love going to the movies, taking in an adventure with characters that you love— we're all kind of sucked out here, and we were left with this overly long, grayed-out, self-serious movie that will only serve in the future, I think, to set up sequels. And what is more depressing than a movie that only lives to set up a series of sequels? I mean, that is that is the most depressing thing in movie land. I mean, seriously. A couple of the Disney, you know, Marvel Universe movies have fallen into that, and those have been the worst ones by far. But, you know, all those movies have been entertaining on their own. At least they've been fun to watch. You like the characters. They're funny. They're interesting. Um, They've got kind of everything. And Batman v Superman just, I mean, it it just had nothing, uh, it had nothing really entertaining in its mix, I didn't feel like. And I was hardly alone in my take on Batman versus Superman. But I have been checking the comments on my YouTube review of the movie, and I thought I'd share some of those comments with you. These are some of the things that uh, that people have said about <laughs> about me um, in my review of Batman v Superman. And this was a movie that I gave. What did I give it? Uh, two and a half. Uh, two. No, I think I gave it two stars. It was one and a half or two. I can't remember. It was a really. It was a. It was a bad review. I didn't like it at all. But I did say a couple nice things about it. Like I, I liked when Wonder Woman came out. She was really cool. And Jesse Eisenberg was pretty uh, interesting in his performance. Um, and, and Jeremy Irons was funny as Alfred. But here are a couple of the comments that I've had on my uh, on my review of Batman v Superman. First off, from Azram sixty three. My review of your review is that you have your head up your ass. Hi-oh! All right, that's uh, that's pretty descriptive language. One viewer named J. Have Valentine called me a worthless, lame-ass, pathetic piece of shit in life. 
That comment actually got a couple thumbs up from other readers. And finally, your opinion is pure shit. I wanted to like your opinion, but I just didn't. This makes my head go straight up my own ass, so I can now call myself a critic. <laughs> hey, everybody's a critic. Even critics have critics, man. So those are the comments. That those are all the comments on my video. I had one one person did comment something positive, like, "Hey, this guy's a critic. This is his job uh, to you know watch movies and, and tell you whether or not he thinks they're good." And but that person deleted the comment before I was able to save it and read it to you here so i had one person reach out in support of me but uh, they quickly deleted their own comment so the internet trolls the fanboys i just don't get why this is a movie and and maybe you've seen it maybe you haven't but even if you've seen it there's just nothing i i don't get why this would be a movie that would get people so passionate so fired up I mean, clearly, there's no passion behind the making of this movie. So why is this a movie that fans would want to hitch themselves to and, and be so fired up about and so adamant about? I mean, you talk about people being biased. I think there's there's a bias in people who go in knowing that they want this movie to be really good and they work themselves up into such a lather trying to explain why it is good um, that it's just it's mind-boggling to me. I don't get that. So... Uh, but anyways, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is in theaters now. I don't recommend it at all. I think it was just a horrible waste of the uh, film or digital tape that they put it on. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the laws. A little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien who, if he wanted to, could burn the whole place down. It wouldn't be a damn thing we could do to stop it. All right, I'm going to take a quick break and lick my wounds a little bit here uh, and pass things over to our music editor, Andy Sedlak. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. We bid farewell to yet another. Merle Haggard died last week. Oddly enough, he passed away on his 79th birthday. And I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. Now, I was never the biggest Haggard fan, so I won't pretend to be. The one thing I will say about him is that I think all of the roughness around the edges and independent worldliness and frank nature of him as a person all amounted to someone who was truly unique. He was an individual. He wasn't shoveling the same old shit. That doesn't mean he didn't step in it occasionally, but he did the most he could with what God gave him. It all amounted to somebody who stood by his experiences, for better or worse, and became someone who boasted a truly unique set of traits. And he did write some masterpieces. My God, Big City... Forget about it. It's an anthem not for rural life. I want to make that clear. It is not anti-city. It's an anthem for your roots, where you feel comfortable, where you can breathe, and where you picture your life coming together. And keep your retirement and your so-called social security. Big city, turn me loose and set me free. Then there's Mama Tried, another anthem, the outlaw life 
juxtaposed against the image of a sweet woman silently praying and losing sleep because of her son. In the end, her baby boy chooses his own path. Mom just gets to live with it. First thing I remember knowing was a lonesome whistle blowing and a youngin's dream of growing up to ride on a freight train leaving town, not knowing where I'm bound, and no one could change my mind but Mama tried. That song influenced everybody, not the least of which were the Everly brothers who cut the song in 1968. <laughs> I know there are probably uh, people listening who are taking Haggard's death harder than I am, and I'm not trying to downplay it. I know what it uh, feels a lot, what it, what it feels like rather to lose a hero. To be honest with you, it's how I felt when David Bowie died recently. It's hard. There's no question about it. Here's a tribute to Haggard from Keith Richards. One of the great country singers of all time and a hell of a guitar player. Gonna miss you, pal. Hey, Jeff Beck said something recently and I liked it. So I'm going to run it past you. He is working on a new album. It's supposed to come out in July. And the goal, every album has to have like an overarching theme, right? The goal is to move past his reputation as a guitar nerd. A guitar nerd. Does that offend you? You got your cute Gibson acoustic fans. They suck. You got your Martin wannabe fans. They suck. You got the pure Martin fans. They're good. Um, yeah, I'm better than all of you. YouTube is full of these guys. I think they're either uh, boring folks in a guitar center store or boring people online. You think I need Brazilian Rosewood to outplay you? I'm better than you. Bono has said that solos are expensive. You have to save up and then use them wisely. Some people pride themselves on being guitar nerds. I'm better than you. Is this you? Does Beck's statement that he wants to move past guitar nerd territory make you less interested in hearing his new album or more interested? Like it does me. It's a different story in concert, by the way. Jamming works better in person than it does on record. It's more effective in person there's so much more to admire when you can see the blood when you can see the sweat and especially when you can see the tears so i'll meet you halfway guitar nerds i love it in person but when i'm listening to an album i like the traditional song structure don't muck it up restraint can be creative too who's the biggest guitar nerd you know what would they say to this send me an email rip me to shreds Journal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal all squished together at gmail.com.
I spoke to Nils Lofgren a couple years ago. He's one of the guitarists in Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Also played with Neil Young for years and years. He's got a great solo catalog, too. Here's what he told me about solos. When we were at a show in D.C., I was at a home I have there, just a suburban home with a basement studio, and I mm-hmm. went there, and I started working on the solo. And it's kind of like we were talking about in the studio. I just laid down the track, and I'd start trying to just jam for a couple minutes just off the top of my my head, yeah. no, no crafting, and once, and and every time I get to the end, I go, average, erase it, average, erase it. Once in a while, I go, hey, somewhere in there, there was twenty seconds of inspiration. Yeah. So I'd save that, and then I kept doing that, erasing things until I had like four or five tracks of that solo where I felt there were little bursts of inspiration where you kind of get out of your own head mm-hmm. and you get out of your own way, and a gift that you didn't ask for takes over. So then I went and. F- found those spots, and then I use them as touchstones to put together kind of a map of a whole two-minute solo that really, when I'm improvising, if you know, if I'm like coming up with something that's wowing myself, yeah. and I feel like I'm really down in it and being creative, I'll go, cool, go with it. But if not, at least now I have a, a road map to fall back on that I know is, keeps me at a much higher level. That is how adults do it. All right. So, a bunch of songs have grown on me in the past few weeks. One of the things that I want to recommend is Carrie Underwood's new song, Church Bells. It was all bruises, covered in makeup, dark sunglasses. And that next morning, sitting in the back, you playing with the Baptist. She could hear those church bells ringing. It's all over the place now, and, and I've just totally warmed up to it. For all the girl-next-door charm that Underwood exhibits, at least half of her hits are remarkably dark. Some of them darkly comic. And this one is very dark. I just like it. Can't keep my hands to myself. This one's also growing on me. Selena Gomez, hands to myself. Gomez can sometimes write checks that her talent can't cash. It kind of comes off as a sort of Lana Del Rey for like suburban teens. But this really kind of finds her in that that middle ground that that is so hard to to put your finger on sometimes. It's both grown up, but also irresponsibly innocent. I mean, I could, but why would I want to? Hands to Myself was released in January. It has since peaked at number seven. It was, of course, written by Max Martin. In this one, also in the Grown on Me file, it's another female artist, and this was released a month after Hands to Myself, actually. It was released in February. It's L. King's America's Sweetheart. Love the attitude, love the driving rhythm. It's the best rock song on radio right now. So beat the drum with me. I'm not America, Okay, one more recommendation, and this is one that means a lot to me. This is a gentleman named Charles Bradley, and he just released 
a new album. Now, Charles is a man in his 60s, and this album is album number three. He actually released his debut five years ago. His sound steeped in old-school soul, which isn't all that uncommon these days. Um, But keep in mind that he's lived an entire life, most of his life, before releasing that debut album. This is a man who has worked as a cook in a diner in Maine. He has also worked in a hospital for the mentally ill in New York. Now here he is at the age of 67, recording albums, and they're damn good. So when you listen to that, it's like Bobby Womack is fronting uh, the famous flames. And Charles Bradley, at the age of 67, will be playing 147 dates this year. And now five more songs to add to your perfect playlist. They are all Charles Bradley's songs. The first is Ain't It a Sin. If you ain't gonna do me right, I might just do you in. Ain't it a sin? Ain't it a sin? Second is Changes. This is a Black Sabbath cover. Then, the world is going up in flames. recommend why is it so hard And finally, Charles Bradley's Strictly Reserved for You.
That's it, friends. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Talk to you in a couple weeks. Peace. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you very much, Andy. If uh, the Stream Police podcast is not enough for you, you can always go to overduereview.com and check out some of our uh, full-length prose reviews of you know some great and not-so-great movies and records and TV shows. Uh, throughout history so we, we go way back on that website we, we don't cap uh, anything as far as release dates go we try not to do anything too new but we really do anything as old as it may possibly be um, all right let's uh, let's keep moving along here i'm clint davis movies and tv editor at overduereview.com thank you for listening to the stream police podcast my friend uh, right now i want to get to something that's on blu-ray star wars the force awakens has finally hit blu-ray um, and and home video, which I was told earlier this week by some of my colleagues that I'm basically like an outdated Luddite because I still watch DVDs and Blu-ray. I still buy them. Um, you know, I've got a massive shelf of DVDs and Blu-rays. I think it, for me at this point, it's it's more like pride because I've collected them for so long. I'm going to always continue to buy DVDs. And I just like the feel of popping the disc out, putting it in my player, and watching it. I just think it, it looks good, and I, I like you know being able to hold it in my hand and all that. I'm, I'm kind of just old school in that way. I don't really dig e-books. I like to actually hold on to the thing, flip the pages, you know, bend the corners down, and, and all that good stuff that comes with it. So well, I guess I am a Luddite in that way. But anyway, Star Wars The Force Awakens is out on Blu-ray now. And I recommend buying it just because the movie was so great. I mean, the movie itself truly it's great, and it's like multiple viewings and you know i mean it's just there's there's nothing to not love about star wars the force awakens but i wanted to kind of tell you about some of the bonus features here on the disc the uh the star wars force awakens blu-ray dvd combo pack is the one i got and it comes with a bonus features disc included you don't have to buy like a special edition to get bonus features there's a bonus features disc included but there hardly feels like enough to warrant an entire bonus disc i mean honestly um, it was a little bit light, I would say. The best part is that there was a full-length documentary into the three-year process of making the movie. This is like a uh, – I don't know exactly how long it was. I did watch it, but um, it was like close to an hour and a half, I felt like. Uh, this is this documentary about making Star Wars The Force Awakens. That was by far the best thing and, and probably worth the price of admission for a lot of fans. But – 
I would say that people who are like diehard Star Wars people are going to be very disappointed with the bonus features package um, on Star Wars The Force Awakens, at least this initial release of the Blu-ray. We get some short little featurettes about creature creation. There's one about visual effects with uh, industrial lights and magic. And there's one about John Williams and his new score. But all of those felt like too short. Like the John Williams one really was more about the old Star Wars music that he wrote and not so much about the new stuff. I wanted to hear all about, you know, the music that he wrote for this movie. And there was a, there were like little teases, but it was, you know, a little six, seven minute featurette. And that's not, you know, that's not enough to get into John Williams, the titan that is this man. Um, and his process of of creating these new themes for Star Wars, which you know is arguably the movie he's, he's done a million movies, he's won and been nominated for more Oscars than anybody. Uh, but you know, Star Wars I think is what he's always going to be tied to the most because the music he wrote was so iconic. But all these featurettes just felt too short. Star Wars fans want to watch twelve hours of bonus features. I know I did. Like, you remember the Lord of the Rings bonus, uh, the, like, director's cuts that came out years after the movies were released? And they had, like, 24 hours of bonus features on here. I mean, we're talking multiple discs just of bonus features. That's what people want when it comes to Star Wars, and especially this movie, because it was so beloved. We want to get into every part of making the film. These features just felt a little bit more pedestrian than I expected, but I do recommend that documentary that's on the bonus features disc if you... If you really want to get into, you know, what went on behind the scenes and some of the things you may not have known and just, uh, you know, seeing the amazing visual effects that they put to work here. It's so cool and it's really worth it. And just to see the work and the care that went into making this movie, that was what was really apparent after watching that documentary. It was like J.J. Abrams really wanted fans to love this movie. He wanted old school Star Wars fans to feel like they were coming back home. Uh, when they watched this movie, and they took great care and respect uh, of that world. And it showed in the film, and it really showed in this documentary. This was going to be the first gathering of the original cast and new cast. This feeling came over me that hadn't happened since Tunisia on the first one. Star Wars seemed like a kind of universe that might accept me. I just remember thinking, we are about to shoot this thing, and I'm not ready. I still thought that I was auditioning. This was the last test. It was the scene that terrified me the most. This is serious stuff, and we wanted it to be right. That's Star Wars The Force Awakens now on DVD and Blu-ray. All right, let's shift gears into television territory now. I want to talk about a show that is returning for its third season here in a couple weeks on HBO, Silicon Valley. Season 3 premieres on April 24th. On HBO, Silicon Valley. I recently spent uh, a few weeks with the first two seasons of the show. I had not watched it until now. Had always, you know, heard good things about it, and obviously had seen it being nominated for Emmys and for Golden Globes. And I knew that Mike Judge was behind it. I'm a huge Mike Judge fan, um, but I had never, I hadn't watched Silicon Valley yet. So I wanted to give it a shot, and I'm glad I did because I really laughed a lot at this show, and it it became, you know, one of kind of my favorite. More traditional style 30-minute comedies on TV right now, and I, I really enjoy the group of characters that this show's about. So Silicon Valley is about a group of guys working as programmers and trying to develop the next great app in Silicon Valley. It's a very modern show in what its premise is about. I mean, this this show exists in the world of startups, technology, and everything out in California. 
These guys get high, they rip on each other, and they commiserate about having no sex lives or really any lives at all. That's kind of a lot of the subject matter of the show. The show's feel is very traditional at times. And, but obviously the language in it is edgy, and the subject matter is pretty complicated and, as I said, very modern, um, very up-to-date. You don't have to know Jack about technology also to dig this show. I was worried that you were going to have to like know about coding and I was going to have to know, you know about life out in Silicon Valley to really get these. I thought it was going to be inside jokes, but it wasn't. It was, I felt like it was a very accessible show. Um, there were a couple times where they got pretty complicated, but I don't think it took away from the show. I think it just added kind of to the authenticity because you couldn't make a show about this kind of intricate technology and the, and the culture and the, the world of it without getting into the, like the very nerdy deep details sometimes, but they do a nice job of like keeping it funny and treating everything, you know, just, just kind of making fun of all of it at times. Now it says here on your resume that from 2010 to 2011, you crushed it? But that's actually an old resume. It should also read that I crushed it from 2013 to present. So are we to understand that you did not crush it in 2012? There was a medical situation preventing me from crushing it to my usual standards, so I had to take some time off until I was able to crush it at 100%, at which point I resumed crushing it full-time. Really what this show is about is not about apps and technology. It's a show about launching a business and all the complications that go with that. I'm telling you, I learned a lot about kind of what goes into being an entrepreneur and what goes into creating a business and sustaining it, all the headaches that come along with it. Um, That's what I really learned from watching Silicon Valley, and it made me kind of realize that I never want to like pioneer a big business myself because it sounds awful. They might as well, the guys in the show though, it doesn't have to be technology that they're dealing with. They might as well, they could be running a shoe company or a political campaign or, you know, anything, just something that is created out of dust and trying to, you know, take off. That's what this show is about. It's really about that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I'd compare Silicon Valley to the big bang theory. If I was going to compare it to another show in that, The show follows a group of hardcore nerds, and it is a 30-minute sitcom, and it takes place in this insulated world uh, where, you know, these these guys are purely intellectual, and they're not, you know, they have no physical prowess whatsoever, and, you know, they really, the guys on this show, they're like, don't get any action. When I see, I've never really watched The Big Bang Theory, but when I see promos for it, I feel like they've always got, like, these really cute girls around, and, you know, like, all of them are kind of hooked up with somebody, and, you know, it's just, this show, it's like, these guys, these guys can't get laid for anything, and they're really not trying that hard, too. It's almost like they're just scared of women. So that's where a lot of the humor from this show comes from. Clearly, this show is aimed at a more subversive audience than The Big Bang Theory is, which you know goes for a massive audience on CBS. This is a funny show. It comes off with a great air of accuracy. I don't know. They could be making it all up, but I, you know, I think it's very accurate because Mike Judge, the co-creator of the show, used to be a programmer in Silicon Valley. So, like I said, a lot of it comes from a very real place, I think. The characters are all strong in different ways, and the cast is a funny group of lovable losers. Does Silicon Valley feel like a really original, groundbreaking show? No, it really doesn't. It, it feels like it's it's kind of safe in a lot of ways in its execution and in its formatting and in the character types that we're dealing with here. We've seen them before. Uh, but it's still, that, that that doesn't take away from it. I mean, every show doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes it's just enough to be funny and to have characters that we enjoy. And I think that's what I really like about Silicon Valley and what does kind of make it refreshing. The breakout character on this series is definitely a guy named Ehrlich Bachman, a character played by actor T.J. Miller. 
Miller, you may remember from the movie Cloverfield years ago. He was one of the main characters in that. And you've seen him recently probably in a series of ads for Shock Top Beer where he's playing a staring game with the draft beer tap uh, that's like a sun logo wearing sunglasses. T.J. Miller's got this very signature voice that comes off in the commercial. Whoa, look at the gentleman with the tattoos. Do you think he drives a hybrid? Does he have three skulls tattooed on his scalp? Mm-hmm. Who does two skulls and is like, I need another skull? Uh-oh, he's looking, he's looking. Three-way staring contest, go! So Miller's character on Silicon Valley, Ehrlich Bachman, this guy is big in every way. He commands the room with this booming voice and completely overcompensates and overestimates his own merits all the time. This is the kind of guy that would take credit for absolutely anything that he gets the chance to. But he does prove himself to be a solid friend and a solid ally and the most entertaining character on the series. Maybe not the most endearing, but Ehrlich Bachman is certainly uh, like the guy that you'll remember the most and you'll be quoting the most and, and kind of coming back to. You know, he's kind of being an asshole back there. Yeah, that's why he's a billionaire, because he knows how and when to be an asshole. That's what you need to be like. You do, Richard. Whatever. I mean, if you continue to mismanage this company, giving 10% to whoever... Now you're being an asshole. You say that like it's a bad thing. Richard, if you're not an asshole, it creates this kind of asshole vacuum, and that void is filled by other assholes like Jared. I mean, you almost gave him shares. You need to completely change who you are, Richard. A complete tectonic shift has to happen. Tectonic. What? A tectonic shift is the Earth's crust moving around. Teutonic, which is what you just said, is an ancient Germanic tribe that fought the Romans. They were originally from Scandinavia. Stop it! Stop it. You're being a complete tool right now. I need you to be a complete asshole. Do you understand the difference? If you're not an asshole, this company dies. I laughed a lot at the first two seasons of Silicon Valley. There were even a few moments where I felt like the show was insightful. I don't think it's as consistently great as HBO's Veep, but it's certainly one of the best comedies on TV right now. And, and like I said, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. I mean, this isn't anything you haven't seen before, but it is executed very well, and that's fun to see. And it's a group of actors that really are unknown, so that's always fun to watch. If you've ever identified yourself as a nerd, and if you can have any interest in business, definitely check this one out. You can zoom through the show's first 20 episodes in its first two seasons. Can you kind of catch me up on what you see as your role in the company? What do you do? What do I do? System architecture, networking and security. But does anyone appreciate that? While you were busy minoring in gender studies and singing a cappella at Sarah Lawrence, I was gaining root access to NSA servers. I was one click away from starting a second Iranian revolution. I actually went to Vassar. I prevent cross-site scripting. The internet, heard of it, transfers half a petabyte of data every minute. Do you have any idea how that happens? All those U-porn ones and zeros streaming directly to your shitty little smartphone day after day? Every dipshit who shits his pants if he can't get the new dubstep Skrillex remix in under 12 seconds? It's not magic, it's talent and sweat. Silicon Valley Season 3 premieres on April 24th on HBO. So sort of expanding my take on Silicon Valley, you know, on this show, I like to get into the guys behind the shows and the movies, the people that wrote them, the people that directed them. I like to get into them and kind of tell you some history if you, in case you didn't know to frame you as far as maybe you were already a fan of the person that uh, put pen to paper and made this thing, but you didn't realize it. Um, and Mike Judge, I just wanted to kind of go into a little bit into his career because I feel like Mike Judge has had one of the most fascinating careers in entertainment, and he has been so consistently great in the realm of comedy. 
but I still feel like he's overlooked, like he doesn't get talked about that much. But Mike Judge has always been a great hero of mine, and he did co-create Silicon Valley. It's just his latest project. But Mike Judge's career, this is a guy that graduated from UC San Diego with a degree in physics, which he parlayed into a career as a programmer in Silicon Valley, as I said before. I mean, this is not some, you know, writer hack who went to, uh, you know, writing conferences at, you know, liberal arts colleges. He was was a serious, hardcore programmer nerd with a physics degree in the early 80s, and he quit a very lucrative business to go into animation. Actually, he ended up quitting his job as a programmer to tour with a band in the early 1990s. He did that for a couple years, and then he jumped into animation. He started doing his own short cartoons, which were bought by Saturday Night Live, Comedy Central, and MTV. In 1992, Judge created Beavis and Butthead, which ran for eight seasons on MTV and reinvented television animation as this guerrilla enterprise aimed at teens and 20-somethings versus adults or children. Beavis and Butthead was really like the perfect show for a network like MTV in its second wave of kind of appealing to Generation Xers. And when I was a kid, I thought Beavis and Butthead was hilarious. When I got older and kind of rewatched the show, I still thought it was hilarious. That show still holds up to this day. Senor Butthead, como es Juan? Uh, burritos? <laughs> no, no, no. Como es Juan? Como es Juan? Uh, guacamole. No, no. Senor Beavis, como es Juan? Um, spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti. Spaghetti? That's Italian, you moron. Damn it, you idiots have been in this class for almost a whole school year, and the only Spanish you know is what you learned at Taco Bell. And Beavis can't even get that right. And, of course, Mike Judge was the animator behind the show, the writer, and he voiced both Beavis and Butthead. And when you hear him talk, I mean, really, his regular voice just sounds like Butthead. It just sounds like Butthead talking is what Mike Judge's voice sounds like. So it's pretty funny when you see interviews with him. So in 1997, right after Beavis and Butthead kind of ended its first wave, Judge creates King of the Hill, which ran for 13 seasons and 259 episodes. It's the fourth longest-running primetime animated show of all time. The only shows that ran longer than King of the Hill are these titans of animation, The Simpsons, Family Guy, and South Park. I mean, think about that for a minute. So in 1999, he was still doing King of the Hill, Judge went and wrote and directed the movie Office Space, which is considered one of the best comedies of the 1990s and maybe, in my opinion, the quintessential workplace comedy movie. That was Mike Judge, wrote and directed the film. Oh, I gotta wake my ass up at 6 a.m. every day this week. <clears throat> Drag up to Las Galindas. Yeah, I'm doing the drywall up there at the new McDonald's. Let me ask you something. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Shit, no, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. And Judge is in office space as well. He plays uh, Jennifer Aniston's boss at Tchotchke's, uh, trying to d- explain to her you know, why she should be wearing more flair, uh, kind of in an uncredited role. That was Mike Judge. So in 2006, Mike Judge wrote and directed the movie Idiocracy, which was a very harsh satire of modern society. The movie was critically acclaimed, but not a huge audience hit. I thought the movie was hilarious when I saw it. 
So Judge has had this string of critical and audience hits throughout his entire career. Really, he's never missed. But in 2009, Mike Judge had basically the worst year of his career. He created arguably the only two things in his entire career that could be considered moderate failures. Um, And I wouldn't even call them you know, abject failures, but moderate failures. The movie Extract with Jason Bateman and the animated TV series The Good Family. Extract reaped more than its budget back at the box office, so it wasn't a flop, and it still has a positive score on Rotten Tomatoes. It was, uh, you know, considered, I think, 63% fresh is what it is now, but less so, you know, critically acclaimed than his other movies, and it was compared unfavorably to Office Space and Idiocracy, um, it wasn't looked at as, as quite as groundbreaking or fresh as those films. The Good Family now was canceled by ABC after only one season. There was talk of bringing it back on Comedy Central, but it ended up faltering through, and Judge went back and did another season of Beavis and Butthead for MTV. So then after really taking his longest break of his career, about five years off, in 2014, Judge got back into the uh, writer's room and co-created the series Silicon Valley that I talked about before on HBO. The show was nominated for Best Comedy Series by the Emmys and Golden Globes in both of its first season. It was instantly critically hailed, and audiences loved it. So Judge is kind of back, and you know I'm glad. He's, he's one of those guys that really um, has, has, has shifted uh, the, the dynamics of comedy, especially in animation, um, and it's just consistently been so fresh, and he's had great ideas. And these shows are all very different. I mean, you think about it, Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, Silicon Valley. These, there's not a whole lot of links between these shows. Um, I would say that you know the links between Beavis and Butthead and Silicon Valley are greater than King of the Hill. But uh, you know, King of the Hill was just a really funny show that had endearing characters, had like a nice family atmosphere. Um, and just, you know, me- very memorable characters, and people loved it, and it was on the air for forever. So Mike Judge just has hardly ever missed, and he's had such an interesting career, truly one of my heroes. And um, like I said, Silicon Valley is uh, about to pick up its third season, so I wish him the best continuing down the road, and I can't w- wait to see what he does next. All right, and finally here on the uh, Stream Police this week, I wanted to talk about the People versus O.J. Simpson. I talked about it after its first couple episodes aired uh, here on the show and gave you rave reviews of how I just I thought this was a really um, interesting, well-acted, well-crafted television show. A good hours of TV um, after the, especially the pilot episode. I was very high on it. Uh, but the finale just aired on FX after 10 episodes. And I have to say, I lost my love for the show a little bit down the stretch. I wasn't as high on it at the end as I was at the beginning. But still, this was better than about 80% of the things that you're going to see on TV right now. Maybe about better 90% than the stuff you're going to see on TV right now. My problems were that the show just felt like it didn't need to be 10 episodes long. I felt like it, they could have pulled it off in eight episodes, um, you know, at most. Once we got into the trial, things just kind of felt like it, the show just kind of felt like it was repeating itself a little bit. I mean, it was just the same set over and over and over again. And kind of they kept hammering on the same things, you know, playing the race card and, you know, that that this trial was, you know, really about black versus white. I mean, they, they just kind of kept hitting that stuff over and over again and not in ways that made it seem new every time they talked about it. it just felt like they were repeating themselves. But I will say People versus O.J. Simpson was very well acted and very well made. If you if you love acting and if you like, you know, like careful attention to detail, period, filmmaking, give the show a watch. The guys who really broke out for me, the actors that really broke out of this show were Sterling K. Brown, who played attorney Christopher Darden, and Courtney Vance, who played the great Johnny Cochran. 
of course, the breakout character of the real-life O.J. Simpson trial. But I'm finding myself more and more intrigued by Sarah Paulson. I have to say, she's become one of my favorite actors in the past year. She wasn't somebody I paid a lot of attention to before, because really all she'd done was just American Horror Story over and over again, and I I wasn't really sucked in by her on any of the seasons, but the last year she has really become one of my favorite actors. Uh, American Horror Story Hotel, I thought she was fantastic in that season. In Carol, which was a movie I did not like very much, but I praised her a lot. She gave the best performance of the film, I felt. And in this show, she did a really great job playing Marsha Clark, um, one of the attorneys on the uh, on the prosecution, of course, trying to put O.J. away. She's just showing a ton of range in the past year, and I'm really excited about Sarah Paulson. I, I, I think this is somebody who we're definitely going to see win uh, some Emmys uh, down the road. I think she's long overdue for it. I'd recommend The People vs. O.J. Simpson as a series, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like, quite as arresting or interesting as American Crime. It kind of felt like a more watered-down version of American Crime. Um, and again, I'm not dogging on it because I, I do feel like this was a very solid show, but American Crime to me was like almost a perfect show, at least in its first season. I didn't see season two. Um, season two of the of uh, American Crime Story, which is the subtitle of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, is apparently going to focus on Hurricane Katrina. So season two um, on FX next year will be about Hurricane Katrina, and that could make for some very intense TV. But I do hope that they get some black writers on board because this season of 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 American Crime Story was written by a couple of white guys, and it was all about race. And if you're going to do a show about Hurricane Katrina, which again, huge, um, you know, racial controversy and and a horrible period of of history for America, and just a really sad tragedy of of recent years, and all unfolded on television, you got to get some black writers. It can't just be these white guys in a room writing about what they feel like is the plight of the black man. I, I just don't. That just rings very false to me. So I hope they get some black writers in there. Down the road, though, for American Crime Story, I feel like it could be really interesting if the show did take a look at some more real-life trials and some cases that caused controversy you know, in America and caused a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation. I could see maybe like JonBenet Ramsey or Casey Anthony trials uh, doing you know, a miniseries on those. But I feel like it's hard to not be exploitative in cases involving children, so maybe that'd be tough. But like George Zimmerman, his trial could be a good one to do or... Um, you know, possibly Patty Hearst or maybe the Manson family, but you know the Manson family's kind of been done to death, so uh, maybe that wouldn't be so good. But yeah, you know, I feel like these these writers really, if they immerse themselves in it, do a lot of research, they could do you know some really interesting, educational, informative, and entertaining TV that actors I think would just love to sink their teeth into these real life characters who did become characters um, in the American consciousness. So People vs. O.J. Simpson was on FX. It's on the FX app right now if you want to check it out. And when you do see it, you know, kind of come to streaming, as I'm sure it will, to Netflix or something, um, give it a watch. It's a, It was definitely worth your time. And uh, if you, you know, remember the O.J. trial at all or you're at all into case law and, and criminal law, definitely give it a watch. I feel like for people who are, you know, maybe in law school or something or interested in law— this show is really interesting as far as that goes. And it's a good look at race relations in America in the mid-1990s. The most important thing is the story. We need to be telling a better story. I can tell you what's going to happen in that court today. I'm ready for anything. Detective Lang, you took evidence from a crime scene. You drove it home and didn't book it until the next day. Yes. 
It looks like you're losing control. I will handle it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Coming up on next uh, on our next episode, I'm going to be talking about Game of Thrones, and also it'll be our one-year anniversary, so I'm going to take a look back at some of the things I talked about in our first episode a long, long time ago, and maybe how things have changed in the last year, uh, including on this series. Uh, so I will talk to you next time, my friend. Uh, once again, thanks to my uh, partner in crime, my music editor, Andy Sedlak, from OverdueReview.com. Check us out on the website, follow us on Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, give us a like as well. We very much appreciate it. I'll talk to you next time, my friend. Stream on until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years. Years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.